Welcome back to another episode of the New Tech Podcast. My name is Julian Acevedo. I'm Sabrina Baca. I'm Steven Duarcava. And I'm Jackson Kennedy. On this episode of the New Tech Podcast, we will be talking about World War II and about a day in the life of a soldier. World War II took place from 1939 to 1945 against the Allied and Axis powers. The U.S. was originally not involved in the war until Japan attacked on December 7, 1941. The Japanese attacked the naval base or otherwise known as Pearl Harbor. This attack took place on the morning of December 7, 1941. Um, the Japanese sunk or damaged 187 aircrafts, and 2,403 servicemen and women were killed. This led President Franklin Roosevelt to declare war once war was broken out. It affected the entire U.S. in many ways here in El Paso. The war not only affected Fort Bliss, but the people some of which included soldiers that participated in the war during World War II. The U.S. had Buggy's Air Force Base, which was an extension to Fort Bliss at, in 1947, focused on an anti-aircraft division. During World War II, so many soldiers' days consisted of anti-aircraft training. I find this really interesting because I never knew that Fort Bliss had an anti-aircraft division, let alone did I expect them to have a whole building based and dedicated around it. I never even like realized that they had anything to do with um, aircraft situations. I thought they were just strictly like military and kind of like infantry Army. training. Yeah. It's cool like a thought process to comprehend. And it said that they had soldiers uh, shipping out and... Uh, to other parts of the war to help defend against anti-aircraft. That's um interesting because I never really thought that they would be based around like anti-aircraft or any air division. I thought it's interesting to see how um they kind of specialize in things that the air force does. I thought they were mainly military military training and like boots on the ground. I've always wondered how it was going to affect El Paso. I never really knew anything of it or how it was going to, and it's it's cool to see that we were involved somehow. Yeah, it adds a baseline, and it gives El Paso more of an impact on the war. And to see that they contributed that much, it's uh, a cool and special feeling. And uh, after soldiers finished their training, they were sent to battle to help defend the air against German rocket experts. This is a very hard and tiring job for the soldiers. They had to not only be stationed to many different places, but to stay up all day and all night waiting for attacks from the sky. The soldiers did such a good job that Fort Bliss became the United States Army Air Defense Center. Sar sergeants started to train other soldiers that were sent for training. This was an improvement for the soldiers since they didn't have to be stationed elsewhere and could stay with their family. This topic is kind of like a weird one because it was a really, I guess, say honorable job because it's like really, I guess, nostalgic and like um, it makes me kind of like proud of like El Paso and Fort Bliss and the soldiers because it gives you like an aspect of how hard they worked and how much we could really contributed to the war since um Fort Bliss got recognized for it, which is a really honorable thing, not only for the soldiers who participated, but for El Paso itself. And it's kind of like interesting to see how hard it was for the soldiers. They had to be stationed to a totally different place, um, figure out how to readjust. 
and they ended up having to stay up all day and all night to protect um people that they were in charge of to protect maybe hundreds of people who were under um their protection from anti-aircraft um such as maybe missiles rockets and others such that the um germans would have it also seems very hard on the soldiers considering that they had to go to a totally new place that they had never seen before and protect all these people even though they don't know anybody and don't have support from their families the amount of like emotional distress that they must have been feeling must have really been hard on them another role that some of the soldiers played were medics aside from anti-aircraft fort bliss also was known for the medical training william beaumont general hospital opened at fort bliss before the war but helped train soldiers during the war after training, soldiers were either stationed in El Paso as medics or stationed elsewhere to help the wounded. The hospital was recognized for their work and later became the center of a three-state governmental medical complex and started to train many soldiers from all over. So many soldiers were sent away and spent most of their days in the battlefield helping the wounded. This is another interesting topic that really surprises me and I feel like many others because once uh, hearing about Fort Bliss, I feel like the community gives off as a mainly military um, branch. Uh, I don't ever really imagine it as a medical unit. And to see that in World War II, they were helping in not only anti-air division, but also helping in the medical field really surprises me, but also just makes me appreciate not just Fort Bliss, but the soldiers and the community as well for contributing so much to the war. I can't begin to imagine how difficult, heartbreaking, and just traumatizing this um, job must be just from going onto the battlefield and being on the front lines and helping your, your fellow comrades friends and maybe even close ones i imagine it being a very thoughtful but yet traumatizing moment being able to help someone must feel fantastic and knowing that you could contribute to the war and help the cause in some ways i imagine a great feeling but on the other hand seeing people on the battlefield and witnessing the things close and personal and not only that but witnessing what those things did to the people you are helping it must be such an emotional and yet scary moment especially when it, it's so severe that you're not able to help but at least one good thing came out of this and that's that the hospital did such a good job even despite the harsh and even terrifying conditions that it was acknowledged and uh, awarded and promoted to a higher standards and not only is that good for the hospital, but for the soldiers as well. I feel like they must have been um, accomplished and felt some type of joy knowing that their work didn't go unnoticed, that they had an impact, and not only on the war, but an impact in history and in El Paso to bring a new light to the war and show that El Paso does have a deep root in World War II and an impact on history and the world. It really shows that the soldiers 
gave it their best and made sure that they could do everything they could in their um, power. And that just makes El Paso such a bigger place. Not only in just the war, but in history in general. It shows that the people cared enough to push forward, that they were awarded and acknowledged for their success. But even before the anti-aircraft and medical units had been established in Fort Bliss, it changed itself from an infantry station to the largest cavalry post in the United States. This was mainly due um, to the fact that the U.S. just got out of the Mexican Revolution, and since the U.S. had such a problem with Mexico right before a, a World War II, um, it became a cavalry post to better defend the border and border states such as El Paso, New Mexico, and etc. Um, this was beneficial to the war, so it just ensured that the U.S. didn't have to worry about any more attacks from New Mexico. Of course, they were still cautious, but it gave them a better sense of protection. Besides the border, it was also used to protect border states such as New Mexico, El Paso, and the citizens within them. This was, of course, beneficial to the U.S. because it ensured or gave a more sense of hope and security to the citizens and the U.S. that they wouldn't have a problem with Mexico. Another thing that Fort Bliss and the soldiers contributed to El Paso and World War II was that Fort Bliss had most of its soldiers at the time, for a duration, start training international military students, and they played a significant amount of role in it. They had over 20,000 military um, soldiers, men and women, from foreign places that were helping the Allied powers with the World War II, and 10% of them um, graduated with outstanding performance. And because of things like this and the anti-aircraft division and their medical unit, Fort Bliss was providing a much revenue for El Paso at the time of World War II. They were making roughly more than $500 million annually for the El Paso community. And this is a very big and important thing because it just shows how at the same time that the soldiers and Fort Bliss were helping and contributing to the world by participating in World War II, at the same time they were still taking care of, uh, respecting and watching over El Paso as a whole. Fort Bliss uh, accumulated this revenue for El Paso over all the programs and stations and units that they had at the base, considering their medical units, anti-aircraft units, uh, hospitalized units, and many more other units that they contributed to to help provide for El Paso. But the $500 million in revenue annually was only from Fort Bliss alone. This does not include the revenue that the soldiers from El Paso were making and bringing home to their family or simply sending to their family while they were overseas or relocated at some other station. Some of the divisions that made the most money at Fort Bliss were the 36th Infantry Division, the Texas National Guard, the 2nd Battoon, the 131st Field Artillery, and the 132nd 1st Artillery Platoon. The 
the reason that these uh, companies made so much money was because they played in major battles of the war. Um, for instance, the 36th Infantry Division, which um, was from Texas, they were also known as the Lost Batoon. And the reason this... Because they went missing during the war for over a year and a half. They went on a pretty much suicide mission um, to see what was happening in Japan. And while they were in Japan, they were captured and put into Japanese prison camps. And the 112th Cavalry Regiment went looking for them and eventually... Uh, did not find them, but after the war was over, uh, they intel led them to figure out that they were left and overall pretty much stranded in Japanese prison camps. But over 30 of these people were from Fort Bliss and more importantly were from El Paso. So 30 people were in the Lost Platoon and it's kind of interesting because it's well it's sad because they were just like left to die in the in ja Japan and it's crazy because the US did send um another unit to go look for them the 112th cavalry regiment but overall they weren't found and so they spent 2 years in Japanese prison camps and the Lost Platoon had over 554 men, and when found, about only 50 men were found in the camps and were overall saved. And that just kind of blows my mind, because to think about 554 men over that, just killed, and who knows, tortured for over a span of two years, is crazy. Um, only two people, on record at least, were saved that were from El Paso, which kind of blows my mind because it it shows how much we contributed to the war, but it also shows how much of a risk factor that being in the war truly was. That every time you step foot on to a plane to go to a foreign battlefield or any battlefield for that sort, it meant risking your lives. And that sense in general is crazy. And to think that over 30 people were from El Paso, and only two people from El Paso survived at the end, is a, is amazing. It, it absolutely blows my mind. It's very tragic and heartbreaking. Um, I, I can't even begin to imagine what the families must have felt like. And what the soldiers must have gone through. Another big division that participated in World War II was the 1st Cavalry Division. This was a division um, from Texas. Um, uh, it was from multiple parts of the country. But a big uh, uh, contributor to this division was Texas. And the forts that um, contributed soldiers to this division were Fort Hood and Fort Bliss here in our local El Paso. But um, about 74 
um, soldiers were sent from Fort Bliss, at least for action. More were sent to this division, but never actually saw battle. But 74 people were sent to this division for battle. And the reason that they contributed so much to the war was because they were one of the first divisions um, to do jungle fighting. And they also helped a group called the 103rd and 144th Infantry Regiments. Um, the reason that they were awarded and recognized um, for their assistance with these groups were because the 103rd and 144th Infantry Regiments were under heavy fire in the Pacifics and the Philippines. And the 1st Cavalry Division um, went and helped them and saved over 225 lives. And over 36 people were awarded um, the Purple Heart for saving the men and women who were wounded in battle. Master Sergeant Michael C. Penna also served in this division for a duration of time. And he is the first person from El Paso to ever receive a Medal of Honor. Unfortunately, he wasn't alive to receive his medal, so it was received for him by his son, Michael D. Penna. Another important figure that contributed to World War II that was from Fort Bliss and from El Paso was an Mexican-American who was born in El Paso. His name was First Lieutenant Pierre Domo, and the interesting thing about him is that he got his pilot's license here at Fort Bliss when he enlisted into the Army, and he was part of the P-47 Thunderbolts. And an interesting thing about him was when the United States dropped the atomic bomb on Nagasaki in Japan on August 9, 1945, he was stationed to fly with the plane that dropped the bomb and protect it. But um, due to reasons, they got someone else to fill in his spot, and he ended up going the second day because the Allies awaited Japan's response for their demand for them to surrender. But when they didn't surrender, the U.S. dropped another bomb, an atomic bomb, on Japan once again. And he was one of the pilots that escorted and protected the bomb that was carrying the atomic bomb, which initially led to the downfall of Japan. While First Lieutenant Perdomo was defending the aircraft carrying the bomb, they were near Korea and this action was Lieutenant Perdomo's 10th and final combat mission, and the five confirmed victories that made him an ace that day and earned him the distinction of being the last ace of World War II. He was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross and the Air Medal, which are both of high honor. Something that I want to get into now is... Something that affected 
regular soldiers, but also some of these war heroes that we hear, not only from El Paso, but all over the world. And it's PTSD. PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder, and it's a disorder in which a person has difficulty recovering after experiencing or witnessing a terrifying event. And the reason that I want to talk about this is because PTSD actually started gaining a lot of attention during World War II, and it was something that seriously affected um, the soldiers. And the it was crazy because in World War One, it was not called PTSD. It was referred to as shell shock. And much attention wasn't brought to shell shock. But in World War Two, cases started getting um, more severe and more cases in general started to pop up. But in World War Two, it was also not recognized as PTSD. It was recognized as CSR which is combat stress reaction. And it's um, interesting, but also kind of scary at the same time, because more than half of the discharges for World War II were because of CSR. And a lot of high officials in um, the United States uh, government and military did not believe in um CSR or PTSD so this is why um it wasn't being treated um a lot of uh there was no initial treatment for it um but one of the hospitals um locally here in El Paso that did help treat it was William Beaumont Hospital um since it was already highly affiliated with the war and had medical training for soldiers and even some soldiers taught there, um, it helped some of the soldiers with PTSD or CSR, what it was known as at the time. And it's interesting because it, the way they helped them was through a lot of just basic therapy at the time. And pretty much soldiers would just come in and once they were discharged they would just talk to people and it helped calm and soothe their soothe their nerves because at the time there wasn't pills or prescriptions that um doctors knew that could help with CSR or PTSD another thing that um William Beaumont Hospital helped soldiers with was um plastic surgery because a lot of soldiers, uh, once they got discharged or got leave from the military, they came home. And because of the battles and the encounters that they were faced with, they were badly scarred and some would say deformed. Because in uh, all these new and advanced technology in World War II were introduced, some of the most deadly and... um weapons that caused these deformations were the flamethrower and any type of explosive such as hand grenades, landmines, and things such as that. And William Beaumont Hospital um, is even now widely um, known for their excellent job in plastic surgery. And they're kind of, they have a lot of professionals who um, study and contribute to that but the way it got started was through these veterans and soldiers who participated in the war it really helped them out because 
because of their deformation and um it just kind of gave them a sense that they weren't part of society anymore. There were some soldiers were scared to go on, on the streets or even be with their families because of what they looked like from the war. So the fact that um, this hospital could give them, I guess, some would say a second chance um, just to just to live their life after they've done so much for this country is amazing, heartfelt. And to see that they're still doing it is wonderful, and it's a, I feel like it's a really good, good story, especially since their foundation came from such a good cause and helped many soldiers get back on their feet, and um, not only in just plastic surgery, but just in medical attention, period. But the plastic surgery really gave a boost in their confidence and will to go back and join society and see the world and enjoy it after the war. Which is amazing because a lot of the jobs that the soldiers had to carry out and endure must have been hard on them. For instance, anti-aircraft sounds really hard and scary. Staying up for countless hours and being left in charge to defend hundreds or even millions of people that are under your watch from missiles, rockets, and more. And even medical um, sounds traumatizing. Going onto the battlefield, helping the wounded soldiers, and seeing what they've been through and the things that they must have endured must really leave a toll on the soldiers. So to get a better insight on the soldier's journey through the war, we contacted a veteran who fought in World War II the Vietnam War and the Korean War. His name is Robert Chisholm. And before we begin the interview, I would like to just give a special thank you to Robert for coming on the show and giving us a better insight of what his journey was, how he felt, and how everything impacted him and Texas and El Paso as a whole. So once again, a special thank you to Robert Chisholm and now let's take a look at his interview. It's kind of amazing to see how war, such a terrible, gritty, gray aspect of life, it can really just bring the best out of people. As hearing from his interview, it's so amazing how people got just inspired by the war to help their country to help um people just wanted to help overall in any way shape or form that they could and it's amazing how even though there was a lot of diversity at that time in the u.s that because of the war people were able to move past that and work together for the greater good of the country and after hearing Robert's story, it's really inspiring, and it really gives you a good aspect of how much Americans were willing and wanted to fight in this war, not just for violence, but to protect something that they love and to protect people that they love. He said he enlisted, and he was wounded about three times, and after all three of those times, he went back and re-enlisted once again and that to me kind of amazes and shocks me in a very surprising way it really touches your heart because 
it, to think about that, that one person did so much and contributed so much that there must be millions of people just like him and willing to contribute just as much as him because Robert truly gave it his all. He sacrificed his a, a good majority of his life to go help and fight for people so that they wouldn't have to. He not only left his family, left his friends or any other loved ones that he may have and went to a foreign country that he was unfamiliar with and has never seen before, but he also took on the challenge of meeting all these new people and not just meeting people, but fighting alongside them, risking his life or others so they wouldn't have to that type of courage is just amazing and it really um not shocks but surprises me how so many people were just willing to contribute to the war it's honestly really heart touching but not only is it really heart touching it's also kind of impressive to see how someone small from Dallas, Texas, or El Paso can have such huge influence on the war. He fought in major battles of the war that we learn about in school and that people recognize if you ask about. It's cool and memorable to just know that people from your hometown have contributed to the world and society and given up something of theirs so that you could live the way you wanted to live it's also crazy how robert is in his mid-30s and he sounds so healthy and well for his age and it's um good to see that uh, not all soldiers were badly affected by the war that there were still people who did good but are still able to maintain a life and just live happily since after their sacrifices we're so gratefully um respected and honored by people out of just gratitude for what they've truly done and to just know that not all of the veterans are affected in a very very harsh way because i'm sure that most would be some way at least affected but i know that there's more affected than others as we all know from our recent segment where we talk about some of the effects that were left behind on soldiers such as ptsd and it's just reassuring to see that there's soldiers that were able to get past it and just live normal lives and be happy and so once again thank you to robert um for not only coming on the show but we also want to give a big thanks to him for just his service and everything he's done for this country el paso and just contributing to the war as much as he could. And once again, thank you. Well, uh, our country was attacked by the Japanese at Pearl Harbor on uh, December the 7th. And uh, the uh, attitude of the uh, country changed from one of just a uh, reluctance to get involved to a very... Uh, 
turn toward patriotism. Mm -hmm. And I had two older brothers that uh, one enlisted the next day and the one enlisted the following month. And uh, I was uh, 17 at the time okay. and uh, felt like that uh, I should also enlist, mm -hmm. which I did. Okay. Um, what were you doing when you first heard about the war? Well, um, it, was on a, it was on a Sunday, and uh, I think that uh, the uh, information came over the radio first. And uh, as near as I can recall, I was at home at the time. Okay, and how did the announcement of the war not only affect you, but um, El Paso? Well, I wasn't living in El Paso then. I was living in Dallas. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, at the uh, prior to the attack on Pearl Harbor, I mentioned this earlier, and I'll just repeat it again. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, our general attitude of our citizens in uh, in the United States was uh, uh, don't get involved in the war. We weren't uh, we weren't really too supportive of it. Right. And then immediately after Pearl Harbor that attitude changed completely, mm -hmm. and there was a great surge of patriotism in the entire country. Okay. Um, and what job were you assigned to during the war? I'm sorry? And what job were you assigned to during the war? I uh, enlisted uh, in the uh, Army, and uh, I attended the uh, parachute school at Fort Benning, Georgia. I became a paratrooper. And I uh, was assigned to uh, the Bob Waite Parachute Infantry Regiment. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and how did being away from your hometown affect you? Well, uh, uh, I missed, uh, missed my parents, of course. And, and uh, other than that, uh, I wasn't uh, really affected uh, greatly. Okay. Uh, with uh, with, a, with the troops and the military, and, and uh, I had uh, plenty to do without having to worry about anything else. And how did you feel when you were going home? Well, I, on, on going home, uh, you mean uh, before the war ended or on leave? or? Yes, when the war ended and you finally got to go home, how did you feel? Well, I had uh, I had been wounded for the third time uh, during the Battle of the Budge, the third time, and I was sent back to the uh, William Beaumont Hospital in El Paso. And uh, in between the treatments that I was receiving there, I was allowed to take furlough, and uh, I was quite uh, uh, quite pleased to go home and be with my family in between the uh, operations that I was having. Okay. And was Texas in any way physically affected by the war? I'm sorry? Was Texas in any way physically affected by the war? Texas? Yes, sir. Well, just like everyone else, uh, they were affected by uh, having members of their family in the service. And, mm -hmm. uh, some, uh, some were casualties, and then the rations that were in effect, uh, uh, rations were quite strict at the time. And other than that, uh, just a general attitude toward the conflict. 
And hello, this is Steven. This is another student from Franklin. I had a quick question. Um, for, like, any, uh, I guess, industries or any big companies that were, you know, around, like, Ford, um, did they have a big change before? What, like, what were they, like, before the war and after the war? Well, I'm not really, I'm not really that familiar with uh, uh, what was going on in the country as far as, uh, as uh, uh, other than the fact that, uh, that we're on a war pudding, most of our uh, factories were involved in uh, uh, manufacturing uh, equipment or materials of some sort that was supporting the conflict. I know that uh, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of men at the time were uh, in the military and a lot of the positions in the, uh, in the factories were taken over by uh, females. Mm-hmm. Okay, hi, this is Sabrina again. Um, the last question we have for you, are there any changes you went through coming back from war, for example, physically, mentally, anything that really affected you after? Well, um, I, uh, again, I had been wounded for the third time uh, during the Battle of the Bulge uh, with 82nd Airborne Division. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I returned, uh, I uh, uh, had been hospitalized and treated, and uh, I determined that my regiment, the 508 Parachute Infantry Regiment, was going to be re- uh, retained in Europe and will be Eisenhower's honor guard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I decided to re-enlist. And I did so at the time and uh, followed a military career. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Chisholm, for taking time to speak to us and answer our questions. And thank you so much for your service. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. God bless you. So once again, I would love to give a huge shout out to Robert for coming onto this show and it just sharing his stories. I know it must be difficult and hard for him to talk about his past and especially the experiences he had during the war. So once again, a special thank you to Robert for coming on the show and sharing his experience. Robert's experiences really gave us a view on how passionate people were to just contribute to the war and give everything that they could. As we heard, Robert was wounded three times, and each time he went back into the military under his own will. And that just shows the amount of courage that the people of El Paso and the entire U.S. had towards um, giving towards the war. Robert's story also does an excellent job in showing how the people of El Paso truly contributed to the war. As he said, he wasn't originally stationed in El Paso. He was originally stationed in Dallas, later then transferred to El Paso and helped contribute to the war through Fort Bliss and El Paso. But the way that he mentioned in his story that he participated in the Battle of the Bulge and he even covered a little bit about uh, Fort Bliss and how its um, infantry unit, which he enlisted through, just helped in major battles throughout the war, such as the Battle of the Bulge, really gives a better aspect of how much the people contributed to. Because the Battle of the Bulge took place on December 16, 1944. This was against the Allied powers and the Axis powers. Germany tried it to invade the Allied powers, 
along the Western Front. This was more of a surprise attack. The Allied powers did not expect this, and Germany tried to push the Western Front, but later was defeated by the Allied powers on January 25th, 1944. This battle was a major loss for the Axis powers. This was the last offense that Germany would be making throughout the whole war. And just to see that someone from El Paso contributed to such a major turning point in World War II is eye-opening, but also amazing. So once again, a huge thank you to Robert for his service and everything he's done for our country. So now that we are reaching the end of our show, uh, let us do a summary and recap on all our main points and ideas throughout the podcast. We talked about Fort Bliss during World War II and how it contributed to the war, but at the same time, what the soldiers did and contributed to the war and what they also did for El Paso. We first began talking about Fort Bliss and how it became an infantry unit after being a cavalry unit for such a long period of time. We also discussed how it trained many soldiers in different areas to help contribute to the war. One of these areas that we talked about was its anti-aircraft division. We also talked about how the soldiers became so honorably noticed that it actually became a well-known base for training anti-aircraft divisions and it was later honored by the U.S. for this service. This was both a collaboration between Fort Bliss doing an amazing job by training its soldiers, but also it wouldn't have been possible without the help of the soldiers actually contributing by helping foreign units train an anti-aircraft division for the war to later be stationed else place to help contribute. We also talked about how Fort Bliss had a pretty well-known and well-respected medical unit. This medical unit helped in many stages of the war. They uh, trained like their anti-aircraft division. They helped foreign military units train under them and become well-known and respected for their medical services. But the soldiers also did a great job because... The Belmont Hospital, which is still around to this day, helped train some of these soldiers. And the soldiers actually ended up helping the hospital. But at the same time, the hospital also helped train the soldiers and ready and prepare them for teaching the other foreign units that would be coming to Fort Bliss later on. This also became a very well-known and honored unit in Fort Bliss and was later commended and respected by the U.S. It became a state complex which helped train other medical units throughout Fort Bliss, meaning that the Belmont Hospital, since it became such a well-helping partner to Fort Bliss and the military side of El Paso, it was commended and it was put in charge of training many other hospitals and military medical units uh, 
for the war so that the U.S. would have a better supply of people who really knew what they were doing to a better degree for medical units during World War II. We also later then talked about and focused more about how the soldiers contributed to the war because even though we were talking about how they contributed to these good branches that Fort Bliss has been recommended for, you need to talk about the different jobs and areas that soldiers work in, such as the anti-aircraft division and medical unit that we already discussed. We also um, went more in depth to how their lives were once they were doing these jobs. For example, anti-aircraft division had to relocate to highly populated areas where enemies were frequent and attacks were frequent. And we discussed the severity that this must have had on the soldiers, how staying up long nights and being left in charge of millions and hundreds of people to watch over them and just make sure that they were all safe and that no attacks happened, how that must have strained and left a burden on those soldiers. We also later then talked about how medical was a very serious and heart-wrenching job, how these soldiers were trained, and it was a very hard training. There was many st much studying and research to be involved to become a, a medic in this war. They had to be on the front lines daily, and just being on the front lines in general, uh, taking care of these bodies, and some of the people that you were taking care of and dragging off the battlefield you may have known or not have known. And we talked about how just the emotional degree that this job must have had and how it must have taken a toll on these soldiers. For instance, just being around all this action and seeing how it affected the people that you were stationed there with must have been very scarring and emotional for these soldiers. And then at the end, we dove into a little bit about how these jobs affected the people, such as PTSD, and we talked a little about how it developed over the time of World War II and how it affected these soldiers and how the lack of knowledge really impacted these people. Well, that looks like all the time we're going to have for this episode of the New Tech Podcast. But before we go, we'd love to give a special thank you to Robert for coming on the show and sharing his experience. But not only would we like to give a special thank you to Robert, but any men and women who have ever served in the military. This has been Julian Acevedo. And I hope to see you on the next episode of the New Tech Podcast.